0: Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let me read for us verses 12 through 17. Hear God's Word. I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost... Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. There was, let, me, let me start with a story. There was a great fisherman... <clears throat> who was traveling through the seafood capital of South Carolina. Do y'all know what that is? A little history lesson. Merle's Inlet. Okay. Murrell's Inlet. It's also the stomping ground to Blackbeard the Pirate, just so you know. But this great fisherman was going through Merle's Inlet, and as he went through, a little road sign there says, Deep Sea Fishing Cruise, 29.95." Well, this great fisherman, his name was Joe, and Joe said, you know, that's a deal of a lifetime. He said, I got to pull in. And so he pulls in, he says, deep sea fishing cruise, twenty I'm in. Here's my money. Next thing he knows, he woke up. He is knocked unconscious. He wakes up to find himself in an inner tube deep at sea, cane pole in one hand and a bucket of bait in the other. He looks around and he sees some similar inner tubes. And there are college kids in there with USC shirts and Clemson shirts on. He says, y'all on the cruise? And they said, yes, sir. He said, well, I'm a little bit hungry. Do they serve food on this cruise? And the kids said, they didn't last year. I'm convinced that... Hunger or no, if Joe had seen a picture of the accommodations, he would have never signed up for this cruise, no matter how cheap it was. A picture is worth a thousand words. An example. If I could, can I? Can I see an example of the boat for this cruise? Uh, No, I'm not interested. Examples are helpful. And God gives us an example here, and I don't want you to miss it. It's in the text, verse 16. He says, Yet for this reason I found for it mercy, so that in me the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate, he might give you a demonstration, his perfect patience, as an example. I want you to see an example this morning, an example of Christmas Mercy. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody use this text as a Christmas text. But notice verse 15. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ did what? He came into the world. There's your Christmas phrase. He came into the world. And when he came into the world, he came for the purpose of saving sinners. And Paul says, And I was the chief of sinners, I'm the foremost sinner. And he chose me, he chose to save me as an example to everyone who would ever believe. So when he came into the world to save sinners, he had a plan, he had a plan to present to us an example of the mercy shown to sinners. So I want you to think this morning with me about God's example of Christmas mercy, Christ's coming to save sinners. And he's already saved the chief of sinners. My translation calls him the foremost sinner. I don't want us to miss God's Christmas truth. Sometimes we can miss it. We may have a thousand words. We may have a thousand stories, a thousand songs. But I want to give you an example. And the example is worth a thousand of whatever. God wants to demonstrate to us mercy, not just tell us about it. And he does that through the Apostle Paul. Um, I want you to see the foremost sinner, verse fifteen, becomes the forgiven sinner, verse sixteen. But first of all, let's think about what it means to be the foremost sinner. There's a lot of debate on it. What does it mean for Paul to say he's the chief of sinners? He's he's the foremost sinner. To be chief, to be foremost, means there's there's none greater. You're at the top. You're chief. You're the you're as far out as it gets. Foremost. That's technically what the word means. Uh, I'll never forget the first time I heard it. I was in a college prayer group, and we were praying, and the guy beside me, who happened to be my roommate, he said, Lord, forgive me, I'm the chief of sinners. And I was sitting there, I was shocked. I didn't even know the text was in the Bible. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. And I thought, what? There's no way you're the chief of sinners. I know you. I mean, he was better than me. I th- there's no way he could be the chief of sinners. So that, that statement just shocked me. And so I asked him, and I didn't interrupt his prayer, I asked him after the prayer, I said, I said, Chuck, man, why do you call yourself the chief of sinners? There's no way you're the chief of sinners. He says, well, Paul called himself the chief of sinners in 1 Timothy 1, and I know Paul was a whole lot better than me, so since he was so much better than me, he did so many things, he planted all these churches, preached the gospel to the whole world, he's got to be better than me, so I've got to be worse than him. If he was chief, I've got to be chief. I said, that just doesn't work. The the word chief means chief. It means foremost. You can't both be chief of sinners. There's no way you're the chief when God says Paul's the chief. So somehow you're going to have to lose that designation. It just didn't work for me. So I, I kind of came back to the text here and said, you know, is it symbolical? Is it just a figure of speech? when he calls himself the foremost sinner, the chief of sinners. And uh, it doesn't look like it's, it, it's it's symbolical in any way. Uh, if it's symbolical, you know, we could all be the chief of sinners. We could use this as a symbol, but he's not using symbolical language. He's not even using a figure speech kind of language. It's it's very um, straightforward language. Now, I don't think it. the text throws out the possibility of us feeling like we are the chief of sinners. I mean, you can feel like it. I can feel like it. There's times when I've done stuff and I think to myself, man, I feel like the worst person on the planet. You know, I, I, I feel like the worst sinner. I'm sure there's been plenty of times in my marriage that my wife has felt like I was the worst person on the planet too. You know, There's times when you feel like you're the worst, you feel like somebody else is the worst. You can feel that way. No sin involved in feeling like that. But that's not what he's talking about. Paul says, look, look, look how it begins. It's not just Paul's opinion of himself. Verse 15, it is a trustworthy statement. It's a statement. It's trustworthy, deserving full acceptance. Think about that kind of language. Well, Paul, the way he begins, he says, this is, this, is, this is true. It's trustworthy. You can all consider it true. And I want everyone, I want full acceptance from everybody. I want absolute clarity on this matter. That's the way he starts. So I don't want there to be any wishy-washy room here. I don't want there to be any doubt. It is absolutely certain, without doubt, everyone needs to come together and agree on this, and that is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief, foremost. See, there's no wiggle room. Paul's the chief of sinners, and Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom Christ is foremost. The whole the language presents it that way. It doesn't say Paul's among a group of bad folks. He is the worst. He's the foremost sinner. Now, Let me show you why this is important. I want you to see it from God's perspective as well as from Paul's perspective as he goes off to to be a preacher. First of all, from God's perspective, in the sight of God, because this is inerrant scripture, God is the author of it. In the sight of God, Paul is the foremost sinner. That's the description God gives Paul. Paul didn't invent it. Didn't come up with it by himself, said this is trustworthy statements, comes from God. Everybody should agree. Christ saves sinners, I am the foremost. Now, you think about that, what Paul is saying basically is there's from God's perspective, there is no person more difficult to save, no person more difficult to clothe in the righteousness of Christ than Paul. He's the worst sinner. Let's look at a few passages to see that. Look at Philippians chapter three, verses four through six. Philippians 3, this is Paul's view of himself before salvation. And then he looks back and says, yeah, that's, that's how I saw myself. Philippians 3, beginning at verse 4, he says, Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh. so That's pretty good. I could, I could boast in myself. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, me More. So I'm better than anybody. Not only is he worse, now he says I'm better. But this time he's speaking. Verse 5, Circumcised the eighth day. So you do baptism now. The requirement of eight days went out the window uh, in the New Testament, baptize um, when you get saved, you and your children. But in the Old Testament, the circumcision was to occur on the eighth day. He says, Paul says, I did it. You know, even as a child, I'm obeying the law, doing everything perfect. I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. So I was a child of Abraham. That's the best you can be. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Best you can be. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Best you could be. As to the law of Pharisee. Best you could be. I'm as good as it gets. God got to save somebody like that. Somebody who's that proud. That boastful. They think they have basically earned the right to heaven because they are so good. That's Paul on the good side of things, that I am as good as it gets. That was his view of himself uh, prior to salvation. Uh, and then he started persecuting the church. There's no better verse than uh, back in 1 Timothy 1, verse 13. He says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. I was an unbelieving ignoramus, a blasphemer, persecutor, a violent aggressor, and yet shown mercy. This is a description of of Paul's life. I mean, uh, as I think about the army, one of the old slogans was, uh, join the army and be the best you can be. I don't know if they still use that. But Paul is basically saying, I am the best you can be. I signed up to be a Pharisee. I signed up to be a Hebrew. I signed, and I am the best you can be. And yet I became a persecutor and a violent aggressor. And I be, was ignorant in my unbelief. You begin to, to get a feeling for who Paul really was and who God had to deal with to save him. Now, let's take you to his testimony. Look at Acts chapter 8. Acts 8 and 9 is where we, we pick up the story of Paul and see Christ meet with him. And he puts him in a whole different league. Acts chapter 8, verse 3. Paul's name was Saul before it became Paul. After his conversion and after he went on his first missionary journey, they started referring to him as Paul, the Apostle Paul. But before that, uh, they referred to him as Saul. So realize you're dealing with the same person. Acts chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. This is Saul. This is a tough dude. As soon as Stephen is stoned, which is Acts 7, Paul is there saying, yeah, throw some more rocks on him, man. I'll hold your coat. Throw them on. And then after that, Saul has authority to go into house after house. I mean, the people knew him as the guy who went into your house. Are you a Christian? Good, I want you. He would grab them, drag them, women as well as men, into jail. Violent aggressor, persecutor of the church. Look over at chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Now Saul was still breathing Threats. I mean, you just, you just see fire coming out of his mouth with those words. He says, I hate Christians. I hate the church. I hate Christ. He breathed threats out of his mouth and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest, and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, that if he found any belonging to the way, the way was the name of the church, Both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I won't read the whole story, but that's Jesus. Saul, why are you such a persecutor? And why are you persecuting me? Look over at chapter 22, verse 4 and 5. As he's telling his testimony there, he makes this statement, summary statement. Acts 22, verse 4 says, I persecuted this way, again, the title of the church then. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify from them. I also received letters to the brethren, and I started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. Paul says, that's, that's, that was my life. I went to the government authorities. I got permission to go where I needed to go to find everybody who claimed the name of Christ and my intent was to get everybody who claimed the name of Christ, women, children, men, I'm going to drag them into prison and have them punished to death. So Paul is saying, by the time Christ stopped me, my, I was set out to annihilate everyone who confessed the name of Christ. Reminds you of Hitler, doesn't it? Wants to annihilate an entire people group. That was the Apostle Paul seeking to annihilate an entire people group, those who were claiming the name of Christ. I mean, how many of us in this room have been so aggressively seeking to put to death the church that we've had to be blinded and slapped down to the ground and have Christ stand in our way and say, stop it. I mean, none of us. That's Paul. He was so aggressive in seeking to kill Christians, Christ himself had to come and say stop right now you're done. It's over. We're not going to do this. If Christ had not stopped Paul, none of us would be here as Christians today. His goal was to eliminate faith in Christ. To eliminate the church when Christ showed up. That's an exa- that's an example of this chief sinner when he describes himself that way he says this is indeed true stuff I was the chief of sinners um, no Christian would survive if Paul had not been stopped now so when you get back to 1st Timothy he says it's a trustworthy statement Christ is not only savior but I'm the chief sinner that's God's perspective mean, So, in a strong way, and it's also the Apostles Paul's perspective. When Paul says, verse 15, he says, I am foremost. He didn't say, I was the chief sinner. I is the chief sinner. I are the chief sinner. It's present tense. I am the foremost sinner. There has been, won't be, anyone worse. That would be me. Paul knew not only... His external plans. He knew his heart. Um, Look at the heart of those who are seeking to be against Christ and his church. Look at Romans chapter 3. And it's interesting as you read this, the personal pronoun that Paul throws in, describing all of those who are outside of Christ. And he says, you know, that's that's me too. Romans 3 verse 9. He says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we, we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands, not one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Their throats an open grave. Their tongues keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood destruction and misery are in their past. The path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 23, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Paul says, that's me. That's who I am. I am that sinner who has not been seeking God, seeking to destroy. So when you you get to Romans 7, verse 24, he says, who can save us from all of this? He says, thanks be to God. Through Christ Jesus, there's hope. Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus, and he knew Christ was the chief savior. He was the chief sinner. Um, chief sinner from two perspectives. God says it, Paul says it, accept it. He says this deserves full acceptance. We need to accept that, and that's important that we do. Um, why? Not because Paul's boasting about it, because Paul says because it's an example of mercy. It's God's own demonstration of how far His love and His mercy extend. He says we need to know this so that we accept it as a demonstration of the perfect patience of Christ, an example of a sinner finding mercy. Uh, if, if, you were to, you know, if you were to come and say to me, David, you, you talk about Jesus saving sinners. Prove it. I said, that's easy. I could prove that all day long. How? Well, he saved me. You know, I just give you an example of a saved sinner. And I can give you an example not only that my life has been saved, I can give you that example a hundred and a hundred and hundreds of times over. People in this room, I've seen you come to faith in Christ. And it's thrilling. Every time a sinner gets saved, it's an example of God's rich mercy. So it's, it's easy to prove salvation you prove it through changed lives the apostle paul is going beyond that saying not only has he saved sinners but he saved the chief sinner. he has already saved the foremost sinner and that's a big deal look at romans 10 13 and i'll kind of wrap this up thinking about this promise romans 10 13 here's the promise that Paul used to give as he he preached. Romans 10, 13. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Promise. How do you know? How do you know that will happen? Well, because Christ came to earth to save sinners. That's what he wants to do. And he's already saved the chief sinner. So if you call on the Lord, he'll save you. In other words, you can't come to the table and say, yeah, but he doesn't know me. He doesn't know how bad I am. He doesn't know what I've done. He doesn't know what I think. Paul says, yeah, he does. He's already graded everybody. He already knows where you stand. He's already saved the chief sinner. You don't top me. God's already shown perfect patience in extending mercy to the worst of the worst, to the chief sinner. Um Think about the spectrum of sin. There's a lot of talk in the news every day. Some talk about sexual harassment. And the world, you know, primarily talking about this. And they're coming to grips, I think, little by little. Something as Christians we've known forever. And there's there's this thing called the sin that's, that's sin. And there's sin that's heinous sin. And all sin is sin. But some sin is more heinous than other sin. We don't trivialize sin, but we know some sin's worse. And in the sexual harassment arena, you know, slapping someone on the rear with the fully clothed, that is deemed sexual harassment. But if you capture someone against their will, tie them up and rape them, you say, that also is sexual harassment. But, and that's much more heinous than the first. They're both sin. They're both wrong. But one's much more heinous. And we get that. And the Apostle Paul says, get this. Their sin is sin. But there's some sin that's worse than other sin. He says, I'm the foremost sinner. I'm the chief of sinner. I went at the face of Christ to kill him and his church. I was a violent aggressor. I didn't do this in a soft way. I breathed threats. I had evil. I was dead set. This was my life goal, was to annihilate Christ and his people. And yet Christ extended to me mercy, the chief of sinners. And what Paul is saying is, line up yourself on the line. I don't know where you are. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And somewhere you're on this line of sin. And this line goes way down there. Until the worst of the worst. And when you get to the end, there stands the Apostle Paul. And what Paul is saying is, this is an example to you. Christ looks at the line of sinners, like Isaiah 59.1. He says, and his hand is not so short that it cannot save. And his hand goes out. And he goes all the way to the end, and he grabs Paul, and he brings him to himself. He says, I want to save you. And then all the rest of us in this line of sinners, we watch the example in Paul, and we say, if God can do that, then he can save me. He can save anyone on the line, whoever will call upon The name of the Lord will be saved. Can you save me, Christ? I've already saved the chief, the worst. Sure, you're easy. That would be easy for me. I had to really suck it up to think about saving Paul. Paul was the worst. So if God can save him, Paul said, the reason he did that, was to give all of us this example of his mercy verse 16 in first timothy 1 for this reason i found mercy so that in me the foremost jesus christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life you know um you may have heard the story of the man who goes into the courtroom. He's ready for trial. He's all nervous. He's shaking. He's crying. Uh, judge and juries are seated. And the judge says to the lawyer, you need to attend to your client. He's, he's, he's extremely emotional. And the lawyer turns to his client and says, man, you've got to calm it down. Everybody's noticing. He says, don't worry. We will give you a fair and just trial. And the client says to his lawyer, looks up and says, I'm not interested in fair and just. I need mercy. I don't want justice. I don't want fairness. If they give me fairness, they're going to throw the book at me. That's what's fair. And the same thing is true when you look at the foremost sinner and you look at anyone else. We don't want fairness. We don't want justice. If Paul had gotten Justice, where does the chief of sinners go if they get what's fair? They go to the chiefest, hottest place in hell. He says, I didn't find justice. I didn't find fairness. I found mercy. And if I can find it, then you can find it too. Whoever will believe in Christ, that he came to save sinners, you can find that mercy as well. You don't find that you're going to get fairness or justice. What you're going to get is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians five twenty-one: God made Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul says, when you believe you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, what mercy? That mercy is greater, greater, far greater than all your sin. Uh, As as, as I was reading through it, similar language you find in uh, John Newton. John Newton was the author of the song we all know, Amazing Grace. John Newton was, was a marine in the sense that he was a sailor. And if you read John Newton's biography... He says, I, I I was took a sail to Africa to be a slave trader. I hooked up with the worst of the worst to, to go find people, capture them, then take them on a boat and sell them. I was in the human trafficking in a big way. And he had all the stereotypes of a sailor. He said, I, I breathed threats. I cursed, I, I damned people. That was my life. And when he got saved one day and he wrote that great hymn, Amazing Grace, we sometimes get really hung up on the grace, which is good, and we miss who's writing it. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved what? A wretch. A lot of the new hymn books and modern songs want to change it to saved a sinner like me. And I think John Newton would say, no, 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 no. Don't call it sinner. There's sinners and there's sinners. But I'm I'm way down there with Paul. I'm a wretch. That's who Christ saved. I, a wretch, found mercy. And there's a story of John as he was uh, preaching. He he stayed with his church as a faithful pastor. He died at 82 years old. And in his 82nd year, church came to him several times and said, John, you need to probably retire. Because... Your your eyesight's getting weak. You can't hardly read the Bible anymore. Um, Your memory, you're kind of slipping. You need to retire. And John's response to that was, how can this Africa blasphemer stop speaking as long as he has breath? I found mercy. He understood how far Christ... Mercy and patience extended. And he wanted to proclaim that as an example to others. He says, no matter how great my sin, Christ was always a greater Savior. Greater Savior who can save even the chief of sinners. When you get that, verse 17 makes sense in First Timothy 1. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's like, how does that fit? It's a statement of praise. It's a benediction. It's, it's, it's a stopping to just bless God. He says, when you see the worst of sinners, get the best of mercy. You just got to stop and say now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and over. You've got to stop and praise. Christmas mercy invokes Christmas singing, Christmas giving, Christmas thanksgiving, Christmas praise because the chief of sinners has received salvation, mercy. That's great news. That's, that's what's going on in this season is thinking as as joe rightly prayed that the reason for the season is sin and the savior came into the world to save sinners and we need to see the significance of that now let me just give you one takeaway as you think through this if this is true and it is it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that jesus christ came into the world to save sinners And he's already saved the foremost and chief of sinners, which is the Apostle Paul. If that's a true statement, what's the takeaway? What's the application? The application is simple. He says, all who will believe will be saved. In other words, if the Apostle Paul found mercy, as great a sinner as he was, the chief, then why haven't you? Is there anyone here who hasn't found Christmas mercy? The Apostle Paul can stand up in judgment and say, wait a minute, seriously, you didn't find it? I found it. If I could find it where I was, it's ridiculous for you not to find it. It's a serious mistake. It's serious for you not to come and receive Christ. Every uh, Christmas message should be about sinners need to find Christ. If Paul found mercy, we must find mercy. That means there's hope for you. There's hope for your husband. There's hope for, Christ, for your wife. There's hope for your children. There's hope for your friend. There's hope for your neighbor. Anyone on the spectrum can find mercy In Christ. I don't want anyone to go out of here today. I don't want anyone to go to bed today. Without finding the mercy of Christ. If Paul found it. You can too. It's a trustworthy statement. Deserving full acceptance. Christ came into the world. To save sinners. He found me. He found Paul. He can find you. You just say. I need that. I I don't need fairness. I don't need justice. I need a merciful God who will take a sinner, forgive him, and let him be a follower of the way of Christ to the King Eternal, to the Immortal, to the only God. That's who I want to follow forever and ever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the wonderful example you've given us in the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the extent of your sovereign mercy and grace that it reached even Paul. And Lord, let it reach us. There are those in this room who may cry out, even now, save me a sinner, O Christ. Lord, let your mercy find them. Extend that grace to them. Let them come. Let this be the Christmas they understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. What a joy and delight it is to follow the King eternal. Grant your mercy and your grace to sinners here in this room throughout the day, tonight, tomorrow. Lord, let us us see the beauty of our God saving sinners. Let us thank you for it. Father, use us as a people to constantly be praying for our family, our friends, our little children, that they all come to a knowledge of the mercy and grace that's found in Christ. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.